Hi, everyone. Hi, I hear the jail mood over here. Hopefully, we're not too echoey. Hopefully, we're not too echoey. Hopefully, everything is good to go. Turn the volume down a little bit. You want to turn it down a little bit? Because apparently, that's when it's echoey or it's when it's louder. Yeah. And then we'll uh, hopefully announce this will in and we're two dumbasses and... Or anyone. Some sense. Anybody and tell us how our audio is and then when Mark Charles calls in, we can have a go of it. Very excited about that. Very excited. I'm interested in hearing what he has to say. Of course, we have questions, uh, questions for him, but a lot of it is, uh, probably gonna be offering him like, hey, what do you think of this? And then we'll see where he takes us. Yeah, or, you know, it might be a few episode thing because. It may be. You know. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. We got questions. Yeah, yeah, we do. But as always, we hope everybody is happy and healthy out there. Yes, little man. You need to be still. We have the most adorable cat in the world. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't, but that's part of the fun. Isn't okay. that right, oh, baby? Oh, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'm going to be seasonal a lot. Stretch. Stretch. That's the best so, stretch I've ever seen. So Dr. Fauci is saying um, there's going to be uh, more killings, huh? More killings? How so? COVID. Oh, more death. Yeah. It's not, actually, sadly not surprising at all at this point. Huh. Once again, uh, several days ago, it's we both, Tim and I both saw something. I forget if it was on Facebook oh, I didn't or see Twitter. Anything. Well, no, this, I don't see anything. You saw nothing? Oh, no. I, I'm, I know better. I don't see You're not on the yet? me. She says, you know, hey, there might be some more problems up ahead. I don't know nothing. Oh, wait, is Fauci's going to come in? I don't know. We'll see, Dr. Fauci. Hey, hey, Bobby Scabone. Who's Bobby Scabone? I don't know. I'm just sleepy today. That's okay. But also, Fauci, you know, he's going to... We should do this before Mark gets there, but... Should do so what? We should get Mark some music. Oh, you want to come up with theme song for Mark? No. Yeah. Um, I imagine something Navajo would be a good choice. Uh, we'll ask him. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe I don't think he's like that. I don't know. I don't think so. He definitely holds on to his uh, Navajo heritage. Yeah, but I, I'm sure he doesn't like, you know, all think of, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I don't think he's like that. It's like, you know, <laughs> I don't think, uh, you know, what's your name, uh, Lana Ritchie's daughter listens to their dad's songs all day. Yeah, that's true. That's you know. true. I could see what you're saying. You know, you might, <laughs> you know, you might like uh, Tupac. You might like jazz. You might. Then I don't, you know. That's cool. It's cool for you. I have some <laughs> issues with that. You have some issues with Tupac oh. and jazz? No, just jazz. Just jazz? Jazz or fucking... I mean, there are different types blues. of jazz. I can... With the whole, you know, you know what I mean. Do I? The bad playing like, music. The bad playing music? The bad playing music. The well, there are lots of, there are lots of, like, uh, garbage renditions of songs of all, of, of course, all different genres. Like, I bet he likes Leonard Skinner. He might. Who doesn't? Maybe. Who doesn't? Leonard Skinner. That's how, you know, when you go, when you go traveling in other countries. Yeah. You know, the rule of the road is, right? What's that? 
is if you're running to another American. Suppose it. Okay. And they say, oh, yeah, from, I'm from the States. Where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. Ask them if they like Skinner. That's the code. If they say, what do you, if they don't, first of all, they'll probably say yes, just to say yes. But then you say, all right, what's your favorite song? Okay. And if they say, uh, fucking Freebird, that's it. Get out of there. Post haste. So wait, it, so if you're not an American and you're asking an American, that's what it is, or this is as an American, alleged what you ask? American. Oh. Like if I'm, you know, kicking back at Russia, you know. Yeah. And some guy goes, hey, I'm going to buy a can of Pepsi. Not the fucking plastic bottles. A can, a tin, as they say in fucking Britain. Is that, is that an American thing or is that just a you thing? No, that's, listen. Telling you that fact, I'm telling you a story. Why are you stop interrupting me? Okay, well, I'm just asking. I'm trying to follow. It's pretty easy to follow. A tin. So somebody says, oh, hey, I see you have that Knicks hat. They suck. And we start laughing. Then I know he's, you know, probably an American. But if there's like, oh, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big Knicks fan, too. I, oh, oh, good thing you got some Pepsi here. You're like, oh, really? We're from the States. Anybody's going to fucking rattle off some fucking, I'm from Mishmash Kabosh, wherever the fuck it is. Where's Mishmash Kabosh? I don't know. But they'll probably try to sell it to you. Well, say, you know, hey, uh, are you a Skinner fan? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ask them what their favorite song is. And if they don't know, time to go. If they don't know, it's time to go. So this is what you do for, uh... It's not what I do. I'm just, I'm trying to save lives here, honey. You know, Fauci's got his thing. I got my thing. I'm trying to save lives here. Is Can you name up there? Oh, yeah. Here, I'll. Trying to save lives, honey. <coughs> you know, hey, maybe we should put on Do Not Disturb in case he tries to call in. Oh, yeah, I do have it on Do Not Disturb. If he tries to call in, calls can still come in. Uh, but Do Not Disturb means I don't get any messages if somebody texts. Oh, no, I think that's if. Someone even calls too. Uh, nope, because uh, Dan has called him a few times. And I had the number to register. I don't know. Stand corrected. Mm. I mean, I can turn it off. Do not disturb. No. Play it safe. No. When do I never want to play it safe. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think so. No. This kid's gonna be uh, come the Italian teen on track to become the patient saint of the internet. Fifteen-year-old. Uh, Italian computer whiz died of leukemia in 2006, and is going to be the first patient saint of the internet. Okay. Um, Carlos Acoustis was credited with healing a six-year-old Brazilian boy who inexplic- inexplicably recovered in 2013 from um, congenital deformation of the pancreas. Okay. Hmm. A priest prayed to Carlo on the boy's behalf. Hmm. Prayed to Carlo. The boy's having Miracles attributed to Carlo. One woman cured her cancer after attending his funeral, and I heard two more a few days ago. Oh, wow. Very cool. All right. Oh. That is just pretty cool. Yeah. your kid, at least. I'm happy to see him go, but I hate to say, because I'm going to be the asshole again. How so? Well, he probably went, I had a virgin, I think. You think so? Come on. 15, look at him. Look, look, look. Come on. Come on. Maybe. I mean, he's. He looks like, he looks like, um, what's his name? Ben, um, Stiller. 
looks like Ben Stiller. Like a chubby version of Ben Stiller. A huge, like five fucking Ben Stillers packed into a 15-year-old boy. Oh, that's terrible. Not in biblical sense. I'm talking, you know. You know, you know. That is terrible. You know, look it up, everybody. Just don't bug me. Carlo, A-C-U-T-I-S. No. Questions. I I don't know. Karen. Oh, yeah, that was funny. I saw that one earlier today. Did you see this, though? That moment, like, I think it was in the UK. This, um. Oh, this, wow. Yeah, this fucking guy. No, I didn't see that. This woman's distracted by talking to her, yapping on her fucking friend. The guy gets his fuck her daughter on his shoulders like that. They're, that's her. They're walking away in some, oh, yeah, in Berlin. Oh, um, that's terrible. Yeah. Fucking, you know, somebody saw it and was, you know, was taking a video mm-hmm. of it. And then, um, you know, uh, they got it back. But, man, uh, that is some shit. That is. That's horrifying. I mean, I'm glad he didn't he didn't make uh, make off with the girl. Well, the it, well, you know what? It's a good thing that police arrested the man, but determined the conditions for arresting uh, con- con- yeah, conditions for issuing an arrest warrant were not met. So they released him. Oh, because he just picked up somebody else's child and started walking away. Place, yeah, on his shoulders. Yeah, he started walking away. So. You know, and we need the why, do we, why do we need to, yeah, why yeah. do we fucking need, you know. <sighs> I mean, that's in Germany, so you understand why they're fucking yeah. freaking out everywhere. Yeah, and rightfully so. Like, literally, by the time these people get home, hey, Clam. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Clam. How do we sound? Do you hear us good? Hopefully we're not too echoey. And we'll see if Clam has anything to say about it. Clam. <laughs> Clam. And Mark Charles will be joining us at any moment, which is very I think cool. So. Here yes, he is. good. Very good. Thank you, Clam. Yeah, thank you. What's it? Is it K Lamb or just Clam? Cla Am. Clay A Emin. Yeah. Is that like Eminem? Eminem. Clan. Clansman. I don't think Clam. Clam. It just looks like Clam. Clam. Yeah. Think it's a guy or a girl? Man or woman? I don't know. Think it's a woman. I, I was first thinking that too, no, but you know I really what? don't know. I'm saying a guy now. I'm saying it's a guy. Yeah? Yep. We'll find out. Clam might tell us or we or might not. First letters. Yeah, let's see. All right. James Alexander. What's up, James? Thanks for joining us, James. Yeah. It's okay. And first letters and the last name. First All right. letters. Yeah. It's like my email address. Okay. It's T. Shubel. Yeah. But. It's true. And all right, the sky. What's up, the sky? Yep. Exactly. It was seems like you had to give us a hard time of the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Do you want to try to be funny? No, I don't think so. It was a different. Uh, I don't know. That was a different one. That I'll was put on. I'll fucking run that fucking sniffer on that line. Oh, maybe yeah, that's it. <laughs> what did I stumble into? Usually a pile of dicks from what you tell me. <laughs> Is that it, baby? <laughs> Or, oh, what or your mom's bedroom with a whole bunch of dudes in it. Oh. Sorry, man. Sorry. Oh. James, I've been a bad... That's terrible. I'm trying to be on my best behavior, James, so I'm sorry you're my fucking... I'm sure you've heard this many times. I'm sure... James, I'm sorry that you're my outlet, but I... Yeah. Exactly. Uh, tell me something funny, James. Yeah, because we're waiting. Uh, we're going to be interviewing independent presidential candidate Mark Charles in just a minute. Oh, yeah. He's the most beautiful kitty in the world. Yeah. Thank you. Don't try to get on my good side. 
<laughs> and he's a happy boy. He's on his hammock in the window right now. Yeah. Mark Charles, he's an independent U.S. presidential candidate. Uh, if you look up Mark Charles 2020, you'll find him. Um, so, yeah, any minute now he'll be calling in and we're going to get to have a conversation with him. Uh, so that'll be pretty cool. <laughs> independent. He's independent. Party as much as possible, bro. No. <laughs> no. no word. Exactly. Word indeed. So we're excited. But, yeah, you can look him up, MarkCharles2020.com, or just look up Mark Charles. You'll find him. He's, uh, yeah, he's independent, and he's, uh, he has a lot better, a lot of better ideas than, uh, of course, Trump or Biden, for that matter. So we're excited to yeah, talk right. to him. We're excited to hear what he has to say. Thanks for joining us, Alvin. Yo. But, yeah, that'll be cool. Yes. But, yeah, he should be here any minute now, which is exciting. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's going to go on if you're up. Um, you know what? I will, just to play it safe, I will turn off the, um, yeah. uh, this one, I know that Dad has called in um, before when we had this here, but now we'll play it safe and uh, it should be good. Right. Oh wait, the link I received didn't work. My username, okay, Mark Charles 2020. Okay, so maybe. Okay, here we're gonna we gotta give Mark Charles the uh, details for this. Okay. Yeah. Look up live. Go to live things and we'll see. So just bear with us. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm on the wrong one. Yep. You know, there's great technical. Uh, yeah. I think it's just look up the. I just letting them know I'm getting it too. Okay. Two guys walked into a bar. Okay, yes, yes, thank bar. you. Thank you uh, for that. Okay, what end? happened? You would have thought they they oh, would have okay. ducked. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. So that, um, <laughs> All right. So then that picture that, like, yes, we're alive. Okay. That's <laughs> pretty good. Yes. You can tell me a bear joke. Oh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to tell the bear joke, but I'm going to send this to Mark yeah, Charles so first. I'll tweet live. I'll tweet that. Okay. Just a picture. Just a picture. Okay. Very quickly. Okay. Done. All right. And then another one. And then okay, here, just a minute. Here. All right. Sorry, guys. And then we just hit on the tag. Let me get a mm-hmm. clear picture of that. All right. All right, guys. Sorry about that. But so he'll be calling in any second. He will be. We messed that one up. We did. That was That's on us. I had to do too much today. We're in Cali Lynn, not Cali Lynn, we're in Linux Mint. We're getting everything switched over to that for like the last two weeks now. So, yeah. 
trying to get the mic set up and everything. And then PH opens up on Friday, so that's cool. We'll be set by then. Right. And you guys work on Mark Shaw's campaign? We actually don't, but we're definitely big supporters of him. Um, yeah, as Alvin, uh, Mark Charles is coming on. He'll be, um, he'll be joining us at any minute. Um, he just, uh, he just messaged that the link that I sent was actually not a good one. Um, but yeah, hype train, absolutely. I know we've been talking about it, so he's going to be joining us, uh, very, very soon. All right. Well, you can do share, yeah. I think. Oh yeah, let me, let me work on that. Yeah, invite friend signal. Mm-hmm. Signal. And what was the number? I don't remember now. It's probably the last one. Right it might be here. Let me right. let me see. It's right there. Three three six. Yep, mm-hmm. that's the one. Okay. Share. Yes. And hold. It right there. Yep, I'll wait until it no, comes. Right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there. Top one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boom. There we go. Sorry about that, guys. But you were saying, Dylan Marshall is a uh, independent candidate. Independent candidate. He's uh, for one, he's Navajo. Uh, he's dual citizenship of uh, Navajo, and of course U.S. And what he uh, like they, oh yeah, he seems very very nice. I don't know Zeldin if you've gotten to go to his website and watch any of his videos. I know that the essay. Why, why are you nervous? Why are you nervous? Huh? Why are you nervous? Why are you nervous, Zeldin? Nervous if Trump or Biden gets in? Yeah, that's a lot to be nervous about. So I'm saying, what, you know, what harm? You know, everybody's just like, oh, it's a wasted vote. Well, it's my fucking vote to waste. It's true. It's very true. Joe might come in, lol. Probably not. I don't think Joe Biden knows about us. Joe? <laughs> not oh, yet. Yeah, Joe. Give him time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I pissed everyone off, so. It's Except true. For Mark Charles. You're making better friends with everybody. Give it time. Yeah, it's true. Mark <laughs> Charles. Hey, Mark. Thanks hey. for calling. Thanks for joining us. Of course, this is Mark Charles who just came in. Yeah, you and Mark. If you, you want to call in. Absolutely. If you, you can send then, messages here if you want, or you could call in if you want. Yeah. Whatever works. But I know our listeners are very excited to hear from you, Mark. Yes, as we are. Yes, absolutely. I hope it was sounding mm-hmm. good. You don't have earbuds? Okay, Zelda. They're not Mark Charles. They're, oh, all <laughs> yeah. right, Mark. All right, calling that. There we go. It is an absolute honor and a pleasure to speak Mr. with you. Mr. Charles, how are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you doing this evening? We're Great. doing well, thank you. Sorry about the mix-up a little bit, but... That was on me. Can you hear yeah, okay? we can fine. hear you well, and uh, hopefully we're not too echoey. Okay, let me try one more thing. Hold on sure. just a second. Of course. Are we echoing? Is this better? Oh, yeah, it's you fine. sound good. Are we? Do we sound good? Yeah, I can hear fine. Are we echoey or anything? Zeldin, are we echoey or? Um, not too That's good. Oh, man, well, everybody, we'd like for... Everybody here, he is, uh, we've been saying about how you're an independent uh, U.S. president. Hello? Okay. Hello? No, Sorry. that's okay. Okay, so we're just we're very excited about this, and you've uh, you've said before too. Everybody is talking about uh, it's a it's Trump versus Biden, and both of them seem to be terrible choices for us. What what inspired you to run? 
Well, before I begin, can I introduce myself quickly? By all means, we'll follow your lead. Yeah, so let me just introduce myself traditionally. So, Yat E, Mark Charles Yunus, yeah. In our Navajo culture, when we introduce ourselves, we always give our four clans, and we're matrilineals of people with our identities coming from our mother's mother. And so my mother's mother is American of Dutch heritage, and so um, I say loosely translated, that means I'm from the wooden shoe huh. people. My second clan, my father's mother, is Toihiglini, which is the waters that flow together. My third clan, my mother's father, is also Sinbukedine. And then my fourth clan, my father's father, is Todachitni, and that's the Bitterwater clan. It's one of the original clans of our Navajo people. I also just want to acknowledge I'm speaking to you from Washington, D.C., and this is the land of the Piscataway. And so I want to honor the Piscataway. They are the nation that they lived here, they hunted here, they farmed here, they fished here. These were their lands long before Columbus got lost at sea. And I want to acknowledge the host people of the lands where I'm living today, which is in the area of Washington, D.C. So, um, but yeah, so we can, we, I'd love to get into this. Um, there are so many ways I could begin how I started my campaign. Um, Probably one of the more recent ways I would introduce it is I was watching President Obama give his final State of the State of, State of the Union address in 2015, 16, and he was acknowledging the divisiveness that had been occurring during his eight years in office, and he was advocating that our nation needed a new politics. And in his um, in his State of the Union, he said, he referenced the Constitution. He said, we the people. Our Constitution begins with these three simple words. These are words we've come to recognize mean all the people. Now, he got a lot of applause for that line, and there's a lot of warm reception for that. A lot of people want to believe that America is a place where we the people means all the people. But I've studied our history. I've written a book on the doctrine of discovery. I've blogged. I've written. I've researched. And I, I know our history. I, I, I know the founding fathers, when they wrote the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, had no intention of we the people meaning all the people. I've studied the life of Abraham Lincoln. I've looked at his policies, not only his white supremacist policies of institutionalizing white supremacy and constitutionally protecting slavery, but even his genocidal policies of removing the natives from Minnesota, Colorado, and New Mexico to make way for the Transcontinental Railway. And I knew Abraham Lincoln did not believe we the people meant all the people. Yeah, I've studied the civil rights movement. And I knew as good as that was, it didn't get us to we the people meaning all the people. And President Trump does not believe we the people means all the people. Well, he means we the people. And so when he said those words, President Obama, I asked myself, I said, when? When did we decide we the people meant all the people? That's the challenge we have as a nation. And this is why I'm running is because our nation has never decided it wants to be a place where we the people includes everybody. And so I'm calling the question. Okay. Very good. Now you mentioned doctrine of discovery. Can you can you educate us on what that means? Yeah. So the doctrine of discovery. It's a series of papal bulls, edicts of the Catholic Church, written between 1452 and 1493. It's essentially the Church in Europe saying to the nations of Europe, wherever you go, whatever land you find not ruled by white European Christian rulers. Those people are less than human, and their land is yours to take. Okay. 
So this is the doctrine that allowed European nations to colonize Africa because they didn't believe the people there to be human. It's the same doctrine that let Columbus, who was lost at sea, land in this new world, which was already inhabited by millions, and claim to have discovered it. If you think about it, you cannot discover lands already inhabited. Yeah. You can steal those lands, you can conquer them, you can colonize them, you can't discover them. So because our history books, our monuments, our proclamations identify Columbus as the discoverer of America, it reveals the bias of the nation, which is that Native peoples, people of color, aren't fully human. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the doctrine that still that influences the foundations of the nation. Even today. That still carries over today with what I could say is like uh, when you're on probation, how it's like, well, you have community service. Well, technically, and Joan was reading your book, and it showed that technically slavery still is legal or hasn't never been abolished. It's just been like with the NYPD saying they slashed a billion dollars of their budget. They didn't. They just shifted it. They they cut half of it was overtime. Well, that's not the budget. It's not no overtime. There's no such thing as overtime. Get rid of that altogether. Well, no, that's what they mostly cut, but they still didn't cut all that even. So it's like, so they're just going to call it something else. It's you know, we as a people started to get sick of that. So, and Biden, Biden is no yeah, Biden's yeah, no so answer to Trump because Biden had fit, oh, 47 years in office. To even try to fix stuff. And actually put more racist policies in the So law. those two are not the answer. So I always tell people, it's like, well, if you vote for Mark Charles, it's, it's a, you know, it's a two-party system. I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be. And what's the worst going to happen if I put my vote at Mark Charles? I didn't vote last year or the year before, but if I vote for Mark Charles this year, what's going to happen? You know what? I know what's going to happen if I vote for those two other idiots. Mark Charles, at least it's, you know, we're going to have a good shot at some change. That's going to amount to So the difference, the difference between the two parties, okay. if you look at the two parties, and you, you see it very clearly in 2016, you see it very clearly this year between Trump and Biden. Um, in 2016, let's just go back to there, where Donald Trump was campaigning to make America great yes. again. And the Democrats' response was, America's great already. Yeah. So they both agreed our past, our history, our foundations were great. They disagreed if we were great in 2016. Donald said no. Hillary said yes. It's great if you're white. You're white. See, they were, they were, the difference between the two, it wasn't a difference of racism versus anti-racism or equality versus inequality. It was a difference between explicit versus implicit. So Donald wanted to make our nation explicitly white supremacist, racist, and sexist again. And the Democrats wanted to keep our white supremacy and racism implicit. And that was the difference. And it's the same distinction this year between Trump and Biden, where neither one of them are interested in addressing the foundation. So right now, we're having a huge debate on institutionalized white supremacy and our police reforms and our criminal justice reforms. Well, the problem is, is the reason we see these constant killings, even lynchings, by our police departments against black and native peoples is because white supremacy has been institutionalized in our policing system. The 13th amendment doesn't actually abolish slavery. What it says is neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party has been duly convicted. It 
institutionalizes white supremacy and constitutionally protects the slavery in our prison system, in our police free labor. And so both Trump and Biden, when they talk about police reform, they're talking about let's banish chokeholds, let's change where we shoot people. Yeah. But they're not talking about making a foundational level change. I'm the only candidate who is has a policy, a platform, a plank in my platform that includes abolishing slavery. Oh, yeah. That's where we have to start the conversation. Yeah. Well, and change. It's yeah. not, we have to. But conversation, I think part of, you know, when we say conversation, it's basically like AOC, who I'm not a big fan of her, but she does make sense a lot of times, like with the police budget. She's like, no, this is just a shell game. You guys are, you know, don't piss on my, she didn't say this, I'm saying this, but everybody pisses on your leg and tells you it's raining. I know it's not raining. You know, you gotta, you gotta not change things. You gotta kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's part of the constitution. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a liquid thing. It's a moving thing. It's a growing thing and it's going to change. We can't keep looking back. We're going to have to scrap, totally scrap, you know, first amendment just, all right, that was the one we have from, you know, from yeah. 2000 or I'm sorry, 1776, 200 years ago. And then this is what morphed into it was this new one. And you really have to start with, you know, basic start it over again. Keep it the same, pretty not the same, but get rid of what we thought people, you know, that we elected got rid of for us. Well, it's like you were saying, Mark, it's uh, even between uh, Trump and Biden, and it's not just a Trump and Biden issue. They're just they're just two options of it or two examples of it. Uh, the number of basically, for the most part, white people just not getting it. Of course, you do have people from other races too. Yeah, I didn't know many white, white people, people didn't get it. I just thought it's true. But what? I grew uh, up with how every, do you? I mean, baseball and football with yeah. every kind of kid. But I'm just wondering. I, that's all I saw. Like the, yeah, Sunday. the number of people. Yeah, the number of people who just clearly don't get it. How do you win them over? Like you've said, within your first 100 days of office, well, one of the first things you're going to do is actually go through and uh, go through the Constitution. And start working on getting all of the uh, racist, the, the flat drug, out racist, the drug and war, sexist stuff in the there. The drug war could fund just the it's end really, of that could fund. But how do you how do you win over the people who are already part of it who just don't get it? Who won't let go? Yeah, or who won't let go? Yeah. Well, so so here's here's the way we do it: is we actually my campaign is is our strategy is not to win. The vote of the white landowning male is to decenter the white landowning okay. male. So everything about our political system centers the white landowning yes. male. They're at the center of everything, whether it's finance, whether it's media, whether it's, it's politics, they're at the center of everything. And the constitution was written to protect white landowning men. That's why we have a constitution. It, it specifically excludes natives, it specifically excludes women, and it specifically, it counts Africans as three-fifths of a person. So back in, in 1776, that left white men, and it was white men who can vote, white landowning men who can vote. So that's why we have a constitution. And for years, over a 100 years, Congress and the White House was predominantly a white male, white landowning male. For a long time. This is why it's never changed. This is why even when we got rid of chattel slavery, we didn't get rid of it. We just institutionalized it in the criminal justice yeah. system. This is why 
we've never, you know, it was in just last January, the ERA got ratified and Congress still couldn't decide we wanted to actually constitutionally treat women as equal. I mean, it's 2020 and we still can't decide as a nation that we want to treat women as equal. Why? Why? Because Congress is predominantly a white, a white male club. Yeah, do you think? And so, and so, what I'm trying to do is decenter the white landowning male. I'm not necessarily trying to win their vote. I have a strategy that gets me to the White House in spite of their vote. Okay. Okay. Because they are not going to support me. They are not going to support the policies I'm advocating for. Not because I'm not trying to oppress the white landowning male. I'm trying to decenter them. I'm trying to move them from the center and allow them to join the chorus of voices that are around the margins, the voices of women, the voices of LGBTQS, um, IA plus 2X, <laughs> the voices of, of uh, natives and African Americans and people who are on the margins. Okay. And so my strategy is actually how to get to the White House going around the white landowning male not going, not winning their support, but basically getting there in spite of their, without their support. And how do you, uh, did you pick a running mate yet? Not yet. We are working on that. We probably will have a running mate named uh, before the end of July. Okay. Um, we're getting to the point where to get on the ballot or to have write-in access in several states, we need to have a VP name. So we're working on that now. We're vetting a few different uh, people, and hopefully uh, we'll have a decision made in the next two to three weeks. Which is wonderful. Now, what are what are your like Tim had mentioned before uh, the war on drugs? What are what is your opinion on that? Well, if you look back, the war on drugs was declared by Ronald Reagan, and if you look back at the history of opioid addiction and even death by opioid addiction. Um, for back in the 70s and 80s, when the, well, in the 80s when the war on drugs was declared, it was pre- predominantly um, people of color, African Americans, Natives, and Latinos who were dying from, or Latinx who were dying from opioid addiction or opioid overdoses. In the late 90s, and this is when we had a war on drug and we criminalized drug use, and so we were filling our prisons with people, both Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton were filling our prisons with people who were using drugs, we criminalized drug use. In the late 90s, the the, num- the rate of white people who were dying from opioid addiction about equaled the number of people of color. And in the early 2000s, the rate of white people dying from opioid addiction skyrocketed and went way higher than, than the rate of people of color dying from opioid addiction. And those are the years when we began treating drug addiction for what it should have been treated in the first place, which is a public health crisis. That's when, when we began developing better programs to treat addiction. This is when we were developing life-saving techniques to save people's lives on the streets instead of arresting them and throwing them in jail. And so it took more white people dying for our nation to treat this problem for what it was, which is a public health crisis, when it was only people of color dying, or predominantly people of color dying, that was when we declared a war on drugs and we criminalized drug use. So yeah, this war on drugs is technically it's a war on race, and we just have to get rid of it. It's it's not a 
a fair system and it, it's not meant to actually serve or help people. It's meant as a way to um, criminalize drug use and ultimately to incarcerate, i.e. enslave yeah. people. It's, it's actually, I think, believe too, is a, a jobs, instead of, you know, uh, if when the government, remember the DA, I believe, was um, originally, oh, it's going to pay for itself, it's going to pay for itself. Well, it never does. It's, the only job it has is to get bigger. But basically, what I see is like the the dark net and all that stuff. That's true capitalism. When it comes to, I, of course, child porn, it, just That's those horrible. people should be shot. But yeah. you know, there's no excuse for that. But like drugs, if you have people, if there's that many drug addicts, quote unquote, out there that are slipped, there's so much cocaine being yeah. consumed and stuff like that. The numbers, it, no one would have a job. No, it's what it, drugs are different reactions for certain people, and I think as you know, if you regulate it like tobacco and cigarette uh, and alcohol, I think that's a really good start. Oh yeah. Now, one thing I'm wondering too. You mentioned this in your book. Uh, and, and, and Ross Albrecht should not be in jail. If anything, because he well allegedly he uh, created Silk Road, but even if he did, he should not be in jail to like two life sentences for it. Because since Silk Road's inception, violent crimes. Here in the United States, are down 65 percent. There you go. For drugs, like because people just buy them online now, they don't have to go to inner cities to, you know, get shot and everything like that. But anyway, and Edward Stone, I think, is another hero. It's we wouldn't know about all this government um, prying into our private business yeah. if it wasn't for him. And so what do we do to him? Yeah, you know, we scare him so much. He's in living in Russia. I think this this nation. Has drank and breathed a lot of crazy juice. It's true, yeah, that, and that's something too. Like yeah, you were saying before about how uh, you know that when it comes down to winning over, like you said, white white landowning men, that it's you're probably not going to because they like things the way they are. How do you deal with this added level of crazy that it seems that just about well, not everybody. It seems like too many people are drinking at this point. How do, how are you able to get your message forth because of that? Well, this is one of the challenges we're facing is our, our message has been really muffled by mainstream media and by the two-party system. And so, you know, I've been in the race for a year now. I've been at several forums and uh, different events with some of the major Democratic uh, candidates. I was at two native forums and one other forum with almost all of the other candidates in, who ran in the in the primary, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, William Castro, Kamala Harris. Um, you know, I've, I've been at events with all of them, and yet our campaign got very little coverage because most of the coverage went to covering the Democratic candidates. Oh, yeah. In fact, I was and I think that's true. by the national press of several of these events. Yeah, and, and I think people do believe the lie of – you know, oh, a third party, you'll never get elected. Well, I remember, I really remember Ross Perot. I voted for Ross Perot. And I knew people, because I had a job with computers, I didn't know people. But I would ask, you know, and we would always talk about, oh, yeah, I voted for Pro, And this was just all over different states, too. So I'm like, well, all these people, and this is before I told them how I voted. They're like, oh, yeah, I can't believe Pro didn't win. So I know Pro got a lot of votes. Um, and even if he didn't, it's like, well, you're a spoiler for taking away. I don't give a shit. I've been called a lot worse than a spoiler. You know what? I, I voted my conscience is what I did. If I vote for Mark Charles, I know what I'm going to get with the other two. If I hit the third button, what's the worst going to happen? Yeah, it's true. I know these two idiots. Well, go ahead. 
and this is where my strategy is actually going again it's it's going around the white landowning male center and so I started out my campaign by campaigning first and foremost to Native people okay. in reservations yeah. around the country. And instead of going to Iowa and New Hampshire, which are two predominantly white states here in the, in the country, I went to reservations all around the country. And then we've been reaching out to African-American, other communities of color, other marginalized communities. But the, the two demographics that get us into the White House, the first is millennials. Okay. Millennials are the largest voting bloc. In and what age age range? And they have the millennials is what age range? So they the the younger millennials are probably about twenty three or twenty four right now twenty two, okay. and then they go up to about what thirty five I think um forty, and so yeah so millennials have been screwed economically by the oh, yes right they were told go to college. Yeah get a good education, you'll get a good job. Well, they went to college. While they were in there, we changed the rules on them. We jacked up the prices and changed lending. And so they came out of the university with tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And there were no jobs. They're teaching adjunct at some community college for 350 bucks a class. Mm -hmm. And so they've been screwed by the system. Plus, they're being laden with trillions of dollars of national debt. Um, And so millennials regardless of race, are drowning in debt, and they're ready for systemic change. Yes. Yeah, yes. everyone is. And the, 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 the key thing is, is they don't own anything yet. Their only financial asset is their debt. This is why the two parties ignore them. Which crazy. And this is why they are the focal point of my campaign, because they only have debt, they're actually open to changing the system. And okay. that's what we're pushing millennials, It's you know, with and I knew it, it has to be in and even Bernie Sanders was still kind of like I I believed he believed a lot of it, but I also believe the answer to the same people and that's the oligarchs. Yeah. You know, the oligarchs they control. That's if we're living in, in an oligarchy. You know. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like you even say in your yes. book about how uh, how uh, we and the West tend to just not realize about how much we are uh, of the mindset that we rely on these institutions that are just most of them at their core are just toxic at this point. That's a, that's a lot to get through. But OK, so at the very and least, the process. You know, yeah. And like as far as money goes, I talk to friends that like, they're you know, they do OK. They do real OK. And when I tell them the difference between one million dollars and one billion dollars you know, intrinsic wise and, and real, real world is if the day you're born, I give someone a million dollars, but they have to spend a thousand dollars a day. That million dollars is gone in about three years, maybe three and a half years. Okay. Well, that's not going to work out. So how about this? The day you're born, I'll give you one billion dollars with the same conditions. You have to spend a thousand dollars a day every day. That is going to take you 32 lifetimes. That's the difference between one million and one billion. I know there's a few more zeros, but that's the difference. So when you hear people have 65 billion, like, are you? F- yeah, that's something. Like, you, there's no way you can spend it. One of the things I've said, I've said frequently is it's a falsehood. You cannot, no one can earn a billion dollars. In, in the debates, when Michael Bloomberg was in these debates, and there was one debate where Elizabeth Warren just ripped him for his wealth, yeah. 
and she was she was really um, pressing in on him. And uh, he was defending himself, and he said, "I worked very hard for my money. I I worked hard for my money." Now he may have worked hard. I don't deny he worked hard, but I'm not quite certain he's worked no harder than the janitor who's sweeping up the factories and the warehouses that he owns, and he's working no harder than all the other people. You cannot. No one's labor is worth a billion dollars. You cannot earn a billion dollars. You can hoard a billion dollars. You can cheat your way to a billion dollars. You can you can lie your way to a billion dollars. You can't earn a billion dollars. True. And we saw that even in Michael Bloomberg because after his campaign was over, he had hired all of these staff promising them that they would be paid through November. And once he ended his campaign, he cut their pay. Of yeah, that's how that's how you get your billion dollars, Michael Bloomberg, is you make these promises to people, you milk them for everything they have, and then you screw yeah. them. Well, let's say that's how you earn a billion dollars. Yeah. Well, let's he demonstrated it for us right there. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wondering too, because like you said, with that kind of money and how people get it, anything like that, clearly we're not in great shape at the moment, you know, with the pandemic. Uh, let alone uh, just everything going on as a whole. Do you uh, do you see the economy as being salvageable? Like when you let's say you or you become president uh, starting November? No, no. There was Joe Biden released a brilliant ad probably about a month ago, maybe a month and a half okay. ago, and it it basically quoted President Trump fifty times throughout this ad on different things he said about the economy. Um, and, and about the pandemic and all these, all these lies that President Trump told and things that were proven to be false. And then at the end, it said something to the effect of, Mr. President, um, you didn't build a great economy, you destroyed one. Now, that last sentence at the very end of his ad completely ruined his entire ad because it implied that before the pandemic, we had a great economy. Yeah. So, before the pandemic, last January, yes, we were on an 11-year run of a bull market. Corporate profits were at an all-time high. Unemployment was at an all-time low. There were several indicators that our economy was doing very well. You would think after 11 years of a bull market, if there was any point in history where the U.S. economy would be able to withstand something like a pandemic, it would have been in February and March of 2020. Huh. And it took five days for our economy to come crumbling down. Yes. Demonstrating that the reason we had such these high corporate profits is because most of our employees who are not unemployed, but they were working two, three jobs in, in the gig economy with no health insurance. And so things fell apart in five days, which demonstrated we did not have a healthy economy six months right. ago. Well, that's what you mean. Yes, the 1%. That's what drives me nuts too. When, average worker was not. You know, when I when I read all these things about, and this is even prior to any of this, was the whole. Well, you should have about six months worth of savings in case something happens. This, that, the other thing, and then for months I was reading. A lot of people don't even have that thousand dollars if something goes wrong, etc., etc. Well, now that this virus happened and everything shut down, a lot of these major, like major companies as they say, like grade A companies or whatever, they didn't even last a month, and they're like, oh, we need money. We need. But I'm the scumbag that doesn't have a month you know, in savings saved. I'm the scumbag, but you're a major corporation, and you don't have that? There's, 
you know what, there's something. You need new accounts or something because I know what you're doing the numbers. There's not, you can't, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not that kind of bear. Yeah, we are, we are actually working on our economic policy. And one of the things I'm looking at is how do we add greater accountability to incorporated entities? Because right now you have people like Donald Trump who can incorporate and they can make literally billions of dollars while driving companies into the ground on leaving their employees unemployed, taking their life savings. And yet they walk away, the Trumps of the world walk away with millions of dollars in profits. You know, we even have now with all these, all these companies going bankrupt and they're literally, they're paying their executives six, seven, eight figure bonuses to keep them on board through the bankruptcy. So they're laying off hundreds, thousands of workers, and the executives are being paid multi-million dollar contracts to stay with the company. And so this is where uh, one of the things we're looking at as a campaign is what do we need to do to our understanding of what does it mean to be incorporated and what does it mean to be shielded from liability when that shielding allows you to drive companies into to the ground, to leave people unemployed, and yet the executives can still profit. Exactly. There's, like there's no consequence with the whole, you know, housing crisis. And then you know, mm-hmm. basically it was just all because insurance companies, you know, remember if, if you're – if you're such a big company, all you have to do is tell the government, hey, if we go bankrupt, we're going to take the economy down and, and just blah, 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 blah. Basically, they, you know, they do what they do. We all know. We were, you know, we were kids, too. We begged for this, begged for that. We knew who to beg and when to beg, and we got it most of the time. You know, we did our little threats, and it's the same thing they did. They got their money. You know, trickle down never works. Trickle up does. If you give the money to the people, they know how to spend it. They know what they want. Even even the fact that during this pandemic, the the top 0.001 of the 1% has made billions and billions of dollars. And there was, there's been articles about how the, the economy is now decoupled from the stock market. So the stock market can do really well. Right now, the stock market's not doing horrible. Our economy is in the pit. Yes. And so what we've done is we've taken this this casino environment for multi-billionaires, which is what the stock market is in some respects, and we've decoupled that from the actual lives and economic welfare of your every average worker. And so this allows the upper echelons of the 1% who still make their billions literally while people are being unemployed. You know, this is why it's, it's, we've been in this pandemic for four months now. There's only been one stimulus check that's gone out to your average taxpayer, um, you know, of $1,200. Yeah. I would love it if, if, if Congress would have, would have had their pay severed like most workers did. We find, find it at, we find an answer real quick. For four months, like most workers have, we would have had a lot more stimulus for your average taxpayer had Congress actually felt some of the pain that your your everyday taxpayer is facing right now because they're unemployed or they're underemployed and their jobs have evaporated and all these other things that are going on. Yes. Yes. And like they say with Walmart, uh, yeah, Walmart is a big one. Well, they'll let their quote-unquote full-time workers work 32 hours a week, 
um, just so they don't have to pay them health care. And so now they get onto uh, Medicare. So isn't that a corporate bailout? Medicaid. Medicaid, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a corporate bailout? It's the same, you know, you know, a duck, if it walks like a duck, it walks like a yes. duck, it shits like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of Medicaid, yeah. what... We have to rename, we have to rename what we call stimulus for businesses, which is actually welfare. Yeah, yeah. Corporate welfare. We have to, we have to communicate that as what it is, and we have to prevent the 1% from enriching themselves off of that type of welfare, which is really what they're doing. Okay. Yeah, like and so, again, yeah. we need to, if, if, if corporations need stimulus, need welfare to keep their businesses afloat, then there has to be an absolute limit with a very low ceiling of how much corporate executives can make in those scenarios. Yes. Because again, if, if you need taxpayer money, your, that money cannot go to pay six, seven figure salaries more than the president makes, which well, he only makes, or the, he or she only makes 400,000 a year. And yet, through our bailouts of corporations, we are paying the, the salaries of executives six or seven figure, or seven or eight figures annually into their bonuses where they're profiting off of these types of things. Okay, yeah. Now, where you mentioned before, just about again the uh, money going basically where it really doesn't need to go with that. What, what would your be your feelings on? Uh, would you uh, would you be behind uh, perhaps doing uh, Medicare for all or something like that, or even for that matter, uh, education so, is still. I am. I'm very convinced that. Uh, Healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Yes. I, I paid close attention to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. They have not convinced me yet that they know how to pay for Okay. It. And I haven't done those numbers myself. So while I agree healthcare is a right, not a privilege, I'm not yet convinced Medicare for all is the way to okay. go. I'm open to that discussion, but they haven't, I have not been convinced yet that we know how to pay for it. And one of the things I'm advocating, and this is what I've, I've spoken to Bernie Sanders supporters, I've actually got a lot of interest in my campaign after he suspended his campaign. And one of the things I say is, you know, his, his vision, I, I, love, I love how Bernie is trying to kind of recapture the imagination of the American voter. And I think he's onto something with his Medicare for All and systemic economic inequality focus. The challenge is, is Bernie does not really understand race. And the, the disparity that race um, creates in our nation. And so one of the things that I'm adamant about is right now we have foundations that again exclude women, exclude natives, and exclude African people specifically. And then ex exclude other groups implicitly. And so had Bernie Sanders not suspended his campaign, had he won the nomination, and had he somehow managed to beat Donald Trump, get elected, and get Medicare for All passed. Had he done that, with the foundations we have today, that again exclude women, exclude natives, and exclude African people, what would have happened is we would have had great health care for white men, and everybody else would have got a hodgepodge. Because we haven't fixed the foundations yet, there, the, our, our country was not built to distribute things evenly. They were built to favor white landowning yes. men. 
And so we have to fix the foundations first, and then we can have a very robust discussion on, okay, now how do we provide health care for everybody? Now how do we provide these other services that we need um, so that we can actually distribute these things equally instead of in a way that favors the white landowning male demographic. And actually, like you said, what's true here now? This is why... Like once they turn down the this is why I have a first, my first 100 days plan to remove that racism, sexism, white supremacy in the first 100 days so we can actually start having discussions on things like health care and police reform and all the other things we need to do as a nation. Okay. Well, even from what I'm understanding for some of it, I know this wouldn't be all of it, but from what I understand for some of it, if you wanted to do uh, uh, between uh, Medicare for or something like that or um, even college college tuition covered for all two, uh, one or the other, I think not both. Uh, we, uh, the U.S. occupies every country except for, I think, Iran and uh, North Korea. From what I understand, if we pull soldiers out of there, uh, that'll be a lot of money that can go to there. But then uh, what do the soldiers do? So it's a it's it's tough. Do you build bridges? Yeah, build yeah. bridges. That's build true bridges too. service roads. The amount of money that our country spends on military dwarfs, not just many other nations, it dwarfs the globe, the amount of money that we spend on our military. And one of the reasons is, and this is, you know, when I talk about foreign policy, one of the nominations I'm most excited to make as president is I want to nominate a Native American as my Secretary of State. Okay. Not only to have a Native person in the White House, but have a Native person be the first ambassador to the globe. Okay. That would be transformational for our country. You know, one of the things I talk a lot about is this need to create common memory, where we do not have a common memory as a nation. We have a white majority that remembers a mythological history of discovery and expansion, opportunity and exceptionalism. And we have communities of color, women, other marginalized communities that remember a a lived history of stolen lands and broken treaties, of slavery and Jim Crow laws, of massacres and boarding schools and internment camps and families separated at the borders and segregation, mass incarceration, and there's no common memory. And that's true not only domestically, it's true internationally. Who are most of our allies? Most of our allies are colonial nations who at one point colonized a good portion of the world. And so I would love to see there be a transformation, not only in the United States and decolonizing our nation here, but in really addressing what it is that, that we hold, what are the common values we hold with our allies? Because right now, I would argue, most of our common values with our allies are colonial and not actually beneficial for the global community. Yes. And so I would love to sit down with the prime ministers of many of our European allies and have long discussions about their histories, not only here in the U.S., where, you know, France, Germany, Britain, the Netherlands, all were colonial nations here in North America at one point or another. In fact, um, you know, France was the largest landholder here in the U.S. Um, Germany had large holdings of land. The Netherlands had large holdings of land here. The British had large holdings of land here. But they also colonized most of the world. And so these are the conversations. And so by having not only a native president, but a native secretary of state, I think that could 
begin to transform and bring up some very healthy conversations within the global community because we would have someone who would have a different memory. We saw both sides of it. Our ambassador. Yeah. They see both sides of it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I always would say, like, um, if you want to balance the budget, balance the budget, always get the proverbial, you know, welfare mother. She has a few kids, you know, through new, you know, a few different fathers or whatever. But she always had time, you know, in the neighborhood. She was always that mom that always had food. If you were hungry, even if it wasn't your kid, you know, let her balance the budget. It's None like, of these these guys are having the balls to ask for anything stupid. Yeah, it's not you know? like it's not a white guy who <laughs> never had to worry about where the money's coming. Yeah, from. just like sit down. What you asked me the money for this, and then just have to sit there and just get berated. I mean, just for you know. Oh. For, you know, I'm not using your comments on that. If you can't tell me the price of a gallon of milk, don't tell me you can balance the budget. Okay, yeah. Now, what if our listeners... And most of our politicians couldn't tell us the price of a gallon of milk. Yes. Exactly. They don't have to worry about that kind of thing. So how can we expect that they're going to know? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, one of our listeners had asked about maybe five minutes ago had sent in a little message on there because we have, I'm sure you know about this too, there are a lot, again, you said millennials, my generation and a little bit younger, who um, it's a lot of people are just, like you said, wildly in debt. I'm going to say between student loans, anything like that. I'm, I'm sure I was going to say you're working on an economic plan. Uh, is there some? Is there anything we could, that could, is actually even available? Anything that's possible that could happen that could help with that? Well, I mean, right now there's a huge edu- a discussion on forgiving college debt, and you know there was a, a very robust debate about that in the Democratic primary. Um, as what are we going to do about our millennials who are drowning in debt? We absolutely need to address that. But that's only half of the challenge we face with our educational system. Because, yes, we have millennials who are drowning in debt, but we have Gen Z, our, our younger people who are actually in high school and going into college and in junior high and elementary now, and they are bored out of their minds. These are young people who do not know the world without high-speed internet. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year, right? And so I grew up on basically my educational system was analog. And, you know, if, if I had a research paper and it wasn't in my neighbor's encyclopedia Britannica down the street and it wasn't in the library across town, I was out of luck. That was my, that was all I had for research. So I had to trust everything my teacher said and I had to believe everything that I read and then I regurgitated that. And you had a brain. Well, the students we have today, they have these smartphones that have access to more information than we had in Tens, you know, hundreds of libraries across the country. And so our students, our young people are bored because the educational system still operates in an analog. Agreed. And they are completely digital. You know, as I've traveled the country and I've talked to high schoolers and young college students and, you know, all of them have some level of high expertise in something they did not learn in school, whether it's making slime or building drones. 
they all have a level of expertise of something that they've learned, and not even from reading about it, but from watching videos. Of right. It. The amount of information that these people are learning from watching videos on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think the Amish, I, I think the Amish do that. They, you know, put all the kids in a classroom. The kids just stare at the window. They're like, "Well, go. We want to go hunting. Go. If that's really good, if you want to stay here and read, that's fine too. If you want to go home, go to sleep, that's fine." And then kids you seem to, you know, come out pretty good, or at least you know, you gotta kind of see who you are, and you gotta be able to. Be- we need to change our educational system, yes, so that we we can actually begin to allow our young people to access and utilize the unbelievable amount of information that's available to them. We have to ensure that we have an open and free Internet so they can access this information. And we have to stop requesting that they memorize and regurgitate all of this stuff that's now searchable. Yes, we had to know it 50 years ago. But but we really need to know it, though. Like you said, I I started working when I was like 13 years old. By the time I was 15, I I was holding my own pretty good, I think. But, um, yeah, and that was just all by design. The whole time I, just, I looked out of the window the whole time in school and, you know, it was, it was so boring. So, I agree. so, so we need to, there, most, and so most of our brightest minds in school now are bored to, bored out. Right, 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 yeah. Because school is not challenging them. And there's no way, no other way for them to actually be challenged academically. And so not only do we have to figure out how do we read, how do we do universities and even high schools and, and elementary schools in a, in a digital age, but what do we do about, you know, so we have Gen Z now. So millennials went to college, right? And they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go to college and they went into debt for it. We have Gen Z's looking at it and saying, tell me why I have to go to college now. Is it going to be just as frustrating as high school was? Is it going to be just as useless as high school yeah, was? Yeah. Well, just why do I need this diploma? Yeah. And, like, and I, I can tell you, the moment, the the only reason Gen Z is going to high school, not the only reason, one of the main reasons, is because they know they need that diploma to get a job. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, the moment maybe, they figure out, maybe get a good job. The moment they figure out how to get their jobs without their diplomas. Which they probably could, except of course. But I'd rather if you were gonna, um, because they're not gonna go. Yeah, but I'm saying if 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 going to a dentist or a doctor, I would rather have a student from a 70 year old surgeon, you know, his student, but he's 50 years old. Oh, it's my son. It just he doesn't even know how to read, but he just knows how to do what I do. You know, just exactly. You can't. You know, going back to like apprenticeship. Yeah. Exactly. Uh Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's what's happening with what we have now. Oh my God! Yeah, people able to learn from video. They're learning by watching. Yes. They're watching people cook. They're watching people program. They're watching people build drones. They're watching people make slime. They're watching people. It is. It's like apprenticeship. <laughs> They're not memorizing these things. They can search those things. Why do I need to memorize that? I can search it. And so they're going on and they're watching. This is the Gen Z is the first generation, maybe in a few thousand years, where their ability to read and write is less connected to their success, their ability to be successful than it was for their parents or grandparents. Not that reading and writing is obsolete, but for centuries, 
reading and writing was the most cost-effective, efficient way to record, archive, and transmit. Yeah, if you think if you think about it, and that's not from the history. If you think about it, the most cost-effective from the very first time, like you said, you started going to school. Everything that man has ever learned and put on paper or cave walls up until yesterday or today, okay, you had to take you in libraries and, as you said, books and, you know, maybe over in London they have a copy of it. Now, all that information is in your pocket, literally in, in your phone. pocket, in, in your phone. pocket, yeah. in the phone. But, but even for Gen Z now, the most cost-effective efficient way to record, archive, and transmit information is not reading and writing. Yeah. It's video. Well, it's just, yeah, but books are just... It's video. Yeah. So you're a minister, you're a priest, right? And it's absolutely changing the way that they interact with the world. Yeah, but... Absolutely changing the way Gen Z interacts with the world because reading and writing is no longer the most cost-effective and efficient way to record, archive, or transmit information. Agreed. I mean, it seems it opens up so many more possibilities for everybody if, uh, as long as and yeah. the world allows that to, uh, allows you to really get somewhere with that. And this is where we have to absolutely fundamentally not just make our educational system more affordable, but transform it from the ground up. Because it's a whole new ball game out there than what it was even 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Gen Z gets that. And they're, they're, they're bored out of their minds in high school right now and in college. So, Mark, what do you do for fun, though? <laughs> <laughs> what we do, this is fun for you, so. Um, <laughs> I am, so I've been fairly busy recently, you know, with the campaign going on and the, the, the book that we published and the work that I've been doing. Um, I have visions of a life where I could actually go back and start playing basketball again. I, I used to play basketball a lot. I coached basketball um, years ago uh, after I got out of college. I played basketball when I was in high school. And I was a coach at basketball, and I, I used to see my used to be my favorite way of exercise. Um, the past probably two decades of my life, I have not been able to play near as much as I would like to, and I have vision of getting back to a place in my life where um, I am able to get that sort of not just exercise, so you know where I can run or I can I can walk and I can stay healthy, but get exercise where I can go out and gather with people and play a game of basketball and, and be in a in a setting like that. I haven't been able to do that in a number of years, but it's one of one of the things I really love to do. Um, one of our I also I love hanging out with my kids and you know, being home with family. So I've actually because of the pandemic I've been traveling very little now. These past four months, I've had trouble at oh, all, okay. and it's been great to be home with my family and to to just be around and have some more family time here at the house. That's wonderful. Well, one of our listeners wants to know if you can dunk. No, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't answer. <laughs> I, I, That's okay. I, I have a much better outside shot. Yeah, right. For three pointers, right? <laughs> Yeah, so they actually developed the three-point line when I was in high school. Really? Uh, and so um, we just be right the time I was in high school is when they came out with the three-point line. And so uh, 
all the years of when I would just play rec ball and, you know, in, in college and then um, when I was coaching younger, you know, my younger adult years. So the three-point line was still a bit newer then. And so it was fun to add that repertoire into my into my game. But, um, yeah, I have a fairly decent outside shot. All right. I can't dunk, though. That's that's <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, one thing I'm wondering too, because it's uh now you I I know some well in the process of reading your book, you also work as a minister, yes? I was the pastor of a church in Denver for two years in the early two thousand. It was called the Christian Indian Center. Okay. And I have since done since that uh, those two years I've I've done a lot of teaching in seminaries. I've done a lot of work within churches. I'm not ordained, but I have served as a pastor, and I teach in seminaries, and I instruct in in theological settings on a fairly regular basis. Okay. I see see a good commercial for you. Um, It was going to be my Nike one, but not mine one, but it's the whole... You know how it's just do it. It's just like, are you playing? You know, show like Larry Zonga getting, you know, knocking somebody over. Show LT hitting somebody, and then you know, show some guy in a suit putting his Nikes on and says, "I ain't playing." You know, and then just that, oh, I'm not playing. Like I, I didn't come here to play. You know, this is business. So it's like Mark Charles. I didn't come to play, and then yeah. boom, he just nails it. Oh, no one. I actually had I, I answered a question in a live stream the other day. Someone asked me if I was ever going to wear a suit because I've I have not worn a suit probably in about twenty years in my in my no. um, since uh, my marriage maybe is the last time I wore a suit. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I actually so they asked me, are, are you ever going to wear a suit as president? I said no. Why not? Why not? Um, I have no intention of wearing suits. Well, two reasons. First of all, uh, I'm in D.C. and we're in a we're in a global we're in a, a um, global warming, and so wearing a three piece suit most of the year makes no sense, yes. right? I mean, if if we are the temperatures are going up, wearing a suit just is not contextual. It doesn't make sense, and I'm I'm convinced that if if our lawmakers were forced to live to go to work without air conditioning, not only would they get rid of their suits, but they would we would pass environmental legislation oh, yeah. in a couple of days if they actually had to experience the the weather that's outside of them. So that that's one so I'm not gonna wear a suit for that reason. The other reason is if you look back over the history of our country, where the goal of the churches and the nations was to kill the Indian to save the man, yes. to civilize the savages. And you will see pictures of young native students um, going into the boarding school dressed as your typical savage Indian. And then you will see an after picture of them graduating from the boarding school with their hair shaved, they're wearing a suit, and they've now been civilized. And I'm just like, I refuse to give my nation the satisfaction. And so uh, the country, if I'm elected president, will have to get used to the fact that we have a president who will not wear a suit. Um, you know, I'm not that I'm going to dress in my traditional clothing all the time. I will probably wear a little regalia and traditional clothes for a more formal event. Okay. But during the day, I will dress fairly casually. <laughs> That's the way I've dressed for the past 20 years. And uh, I've decolonized my wardrobe, and I have no intention of colonizing just so I can be president. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> When somebody asks you, why don't you wear a suit? Don't worry about what I do. Worry about what you do. Don't you got work to do? I do, so get out of my way. I got stuff to do. There you go. Well, like you were mentioning before too, like with uh, with climate change. I I imagine that your uh, your White House would actually be be on board with trying to do something about it. Yeah. So one of the things about um, both the Democrats and the Republicans right now is in their, they both center the economy. Yes. So we have the Republican Party that is bragging that they've built the most robust economy. Of course, this was four months ago, um, our world's ever seen. Not the most stable. They it while trashing the economy, while trashing the environment. They, they lowered environmental protection laws and they, they just completely trashed the environment. Meanwhile, you have the Democrats who are saying we can save the environment and have a robust economy. The Green New Deal is about how we can have a robust economy while we save the environment. And for myself, you know, there, there's this one, the, I heard a story of this one tribe, and it was actually in a documentary about the Athabascan people. And the Athabascan people, they live up near the Arctic Circle um, in Alaska, and they're along the migratory route of the caribou. And every year the caribou migrate north in the winter or in the spring to go and calf. And then in the, in the fall, they migrate south to go into warmer climate for the winter. And the leader of, the, of this people was talking on this on the show. And he said, you know, there is a the, the Athabascan creation story tells us that there is a piece of the caribou in the Athabascan's heart. And there's a piece of the Athabascan's heart in the caribou. So there's, they have a relationship that where they're dependent upon each other. And he said, no matter how hard the winter was, no matter if we're in a drought, if we're in famine, even if we're starving, we will never hunt the caribou when they head north. And they haven't calved yet. Because if we do, if we hunt them when they're heading north before they've calved, we will eat well for a few years, but eventually we'll destroy the population of the caribou and it will be to our own detriment that we're, that we're, we're feasting. And so we never hunt the caribou when they head north, but we do hunt them freely when they, when they go south because we need their fur for our clothes. We need their, their meat for our, for our substance. And so, but they have this understanding. Now, Western culture in general, and America specifically, has been hunting the caribou as they've headed north for hundreds of years. Yes. And our environment is at a tipping point. And so right now, the, the Republicans are trashing the environment to have a robust economy, and the Democrats are saying we can have a robust economy even while we save the environment. And I'm going to tell the American people... I cannot make you a promise about having a, that we're going to have a prosperous economy while we try to save the environment. I can't do that. Mm. We actually may have to make some very difficult choices and have some real sacrifice if we're going to bring the globe back from the tipping point that we're at. And so my administration is going to work to decenter the economy and even decouple it from the environment and say, this is such a crisis that we need to take drastic action and we may need to make some difficult choices corporately, communally, not leaving people behind, but making corporate decisions to, to exist with less so that we can save the environment. And the great thing is, is Gen Z gets this. 
So if millennials know they've been screwed economically and they're passive-aggressively trying to fix it, Gen Z knows they're being screwed environmentally. But they're not doing the passive-aggressive. They're like, oh, hell no. And so they have been, you know, cleaning up the plastic islands. They organized just a, a, what, a six months ago, 12 months ago, a global climate strike, right? They organized a global climate strike, the Gen Zs did. Now, this shows you their mindset. When you have a strike, when you go on strike, what you are doing is you are forgoing your current prosperity so that you can have longer-term subsistence, right? If you go on strike, you give up your current week's pay or month's pay so that you can have a better contract for the years ahead moving forward. This is what Gen Z understands. We may have to give up some of our current prosperity so that we can have a sustainable relationship with the environment for centuries moving forward. And so I'm actually hoping that Gen Z will get on board with me and help me convince millennials, Gen X, and boomers that, yeah, we have to, we, we can't promise a prosperous economy while we try to bring the environment back from the tipping point where it's at right now. Okay. I mean, that's definitely going to go against, like you mentioned, again, you mentioned in your book, and I've been hearing it more and more places too, the general feeling of American exceptionalism that we're the best of the best, we have uh, the best everything. It's, um, that's a, I'm thinking that's going to be a uh, rather difficult fight. Yes, well, American exceptionalism, I would refer to it, and actually in the book I wrote, um, you're talking about the book on selling truths, the ongoing dehumanizing legacy of the doctrine of discovery. Yes, thank you. And, in that, I actually refer to American exceptionalism as the coping mechanism of a nation that's in deep denial of its genocidal history and its current racist reality. So when you look at things in our history like manifest destiny, which is the belief that we have God's permission to rule this nation from sea to shining sea, that notion of a manifest destiny comes from this belief that Europeans and now Americans have a special relationship with the God of Abraham and that we have promised lands, much like Old Testament Israel had promised lands. And if you read the Bible, especially the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua, you'll find that when God told his people, the Israelites, to take their promised lands, the way they were to do that was to commit genocide to kill the Canaanites, the pagans who lived in their promised land. So this is where, if you, if you study our history, and our book goes into this history very extensively, it is absolutely not just brutal with the enslavement of African people, it is horrific with the genocide of Native peoples. And Abraham Lincoln was one of the most genocidal presidents in the history of the United States, literally ethnically cleansing the states of Minnesota, Colorado, and New Mexico of Native peoples to make way for the Transcontinental Railway, literally. Hmm. And, and yet we celebrate him as our greatest president. 
again, this goes back to our notion of we are exceptional. We have a special relationship with God. We have his permission. These are our promised lands. Now, we have to believe that as a nation. The nation, this is why I say it's a coping mechanism. Because if we are not exceptional, if we do not have a special relationship with the God of Abraham, if we do not have promised lands, then we are literally no better than Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And so this is why American exception, this is why our infrastructure is crumbling. This is why race relations are in the, 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 the dumps. This is why we have economic inequality and we have a, a, a faltering economy and a, and a, and a, a, a toppling environmental crisis. And yet Americans are still insisting we're exceptional. Yeah. And it's because, again, if we're not exceptional, then we're merely just another genocidal colonial nation, and our country doesn't know how to wrestle with something like that. And this is why my campaign is trying to create this common memory. This is why one of the, the key planks of my platform is I, I'm convinced our nation needs a national dialogue on race, gender, and class. A conversation I would put on par with the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions that happened in South Africa and Rwanda and in Canada. I wouldn't call ours reconciliation though, because again, that implies there was a previous harmony, uh, yeah. which is not true. I would call ours conciliation, truth and conciliation, because conciliation is merely the mediation of a dispute. So if reconciliation perpetuates the myth, we used to be great, now we're not. Conciliation demands we have a much more honest starting point. Is that this thing began in this mess, we're just trying to make it better. And there are so many things our nation does not know how to talk about. So much of our history we don't know how to grapple with. There are so many things we've ignored, we've, we've written out of our minds, we've written out of our history books because we just don't know what to do with them. And this is where I'm saying as our president, as a candidate for president, that not only do we have to deal with them, we have to learn how to heal from them. We have to learn how to wrestle with them and how to find a way to move forward from there, not by ignoring it, but by, by dealing with it. When you're, when you're, and, and this creation of a common memory is going to be so crucial to that. And whenever you, whenever I try to answer a question or whatever, make a decision, I know, I always say, if it's coming from a pure place of love, just whatever's best for that love, the best way I could love that situation, that, that's usually your answer, you know. And like they say it here, I read somewhere, or I heard somewhere the other day, like homeless children. I'm like, we're, we're a really good country, but like, we, we do have our problems, but how do we let this happen? Those two words actually sat next to each other. Homeless, homeless children. children. How does that happen? I don't have the answers, but I know yeah. I can't have that either. And these guys have children, 50 years in, in, who has a job for 50 years? No. Who? Oh, yeah. Unless you're entrenched in it, in that, you know, same old shit is regurgitated. It's lower, but just, hey, keep your head down. Keep, you know, keep cobbling. Keep okay. Don't look up. Don't ask questions. Well, it's like, like, you, were, like you were saying like a couple of minutes ago about how it's a, it's a, it's a way of de dealing with mostly white Americans coming to terms with our history of genocide. Actually, even our current genocide, for that matter, the number of and it's always it's always uh, countries and populations that 
don't have uh, nuclear weapons and they're pretty much always they're brown. That's how it is. So we can we can kill them. That's okay. And even for that matter, police brutality. It's okay with that too. Uh, do you think? Uh, I, like, let's even let's yeah. go uh, simple. Just for uh, uh, within the U.S., we're we're of course 100% behind the protesters uh, for uh, going against police brutality. Do you think it would be possible to actually retrain police, or do you think we just have to scrap the whole thing and start over? Well, this is again. This is what I'm saying. My my plan for reforming our criminal justice system, reforming our policing system, begins with abolishing slavery. Yes. We have to deinstitutionalize white supremacy and remove the constitutional protection for slavery. And until we do that, any reforms we make to either of these systems are merely going to be cosmetic. And so, you know, we're having, there, there's some discussion about defunding the police which is different from what it sounds. It's about rethinking the entire way we do policing. Now, we need to do that, but again, we can't do that unless we first abolish slavery. And so this is where I'm very different from both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, because while the two of them are able to, or at least agreeing to at some level, to talk about reforming our policing system, neither of them, and in fact, I'm quite certain, even with the third party candidates, I'm the only one who's openly advocating that we have to abolish slavery. And so, again, this is where the African-American community hears that. And they're like, yeah, they know that's the problem. They've been aware of this for, for years and years and years. Um, but it's it's the white landowning male demographic who doesn't quote, get that. And so this is why that's not even entering into their minds as part of the solution or what we need to do moving forward. Um, and so, yeah, so this is, it's, this past month has actually, has given me numerous opportunities to draw some very clear distinctions between myself, Joe Biden, and Donald Trump, and actually begin to show how they are more similar than, than dissimilar. Yes. Um, you know, one is more explicit, the other is more implicit, but they both are generally advocating for the same things. One's just a little bit of a nicer person. Or at least puts on the show to be a nicer person, yes? We're waiting. Now, like you said, how you've been getting your message out more, which is, I think, it's one thing that Tim and I have talked about before, too, with uh, as horrifying as it is, have a, uh, at the very least, a Nazi sympathizer, if not a full-blown neo-Nazi as president at this point. Uh, we feel that him being in office has been, has been part, partly a catalyst for people realizing and then standing up and protesting in the middle of a deadly virus outbreak to actually go and fight, uh, like, uh, like I say police violence. But like you said, need to start with, uh, need to start with, uh, getting rid of the, getting rid of slavery first. Is there what can we do? What can any listener and of course we're gonna we're gonna keep reposting this so a lot of people can listen to it. How can we help the Mark and Charles? Yeah, and our yeah. listeners, the Mark Charles campaign. So I'm encouraging people to uh, watch my announcement video. If you go to my website, which is MarkCharles2020. Okay. A year and a half a year ago, um, thirteen months ago, we released our we announced our campaign. We had a nine minute video where we laid out our vision for building a nation where we the people truly means all the people. And to this day, 
it is probably one of the best tools our campaign has to get our message out. While the Republicans are putting forward a very divisive candidate and the Democrats are putting forward a very mediocre candidate, our call for common memory and building a healthier community and our vision for building a nation where we the people truly means all the people absolutely stands out in stark contrast to both of them. And so I'm encouraging people to, to go to our website, watch our video, and then join our campaign. You can sign up to volunteer. You can donate to us. We are working hard to get on the ballot in as many states as we can. Because of the pandemic, we're not able to collect signatures. Well, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are kind of pressing the limits of opening up their campaigns and, and doing public in-person campaigning right now. Again, what explicit versus implicit. Right. Donald Trump is having groups of hundreds and thousands of people um, at rallies with no social distancing and no face masks. And Joe Biden is having safer events, but he's still having public events. He's still going out and gathering. And I am saying I would say voting is essential and we have to do that. We have to find a way to make voting as safe as possible, including absentee voting in person. Public campaigning is not essential. We live in the 21st century. We have an internet. We have smartphones. We have computers. We have television, radio, newspapers. Politicians most certainly can find safer and more creative ways to campaign in the midst of a global pandemic than gathering crowds and having public events. And so our campaign does not have any public events on our calendar. We haven't held a public event since early March. Um, and we are the only candidate or we're the, of the two major candidates and ourselves, we are not planning a public event right now. And so this has meant we're not able to collect signatures in a lot of states. Yeah. Um, and so our strategy is switching not only from being able to be on the ballot, and we're hoping to be on the ballot in about maybe 10 to 12 states um, and then we will be a write-in candidate in about 32 states. Okay. There are so far, there's about seven states. We will not be able to have any option to vote for us in about seven states. But um, we there's a 40 to 44 states where we will either hopefully be on the ballot or we will be able to be a write-in candidate in those states, which still gives us access to over 500 electoral college votes, which means we are still very much a viable candidate in this campaign. And so uh, we are encouraging people, do not believe the lie of the two-party system. Don't believe there's only two choices this year. Um, you know, and if people actually vote for what candidate has the most vision and has the best call for unity, which we believe is myself and our, candidate, our campaign for all the people, we can absolutely win this campaign. I'm not running this as a protest campaign. I'm running this because I truly believe I am the best person and the most qualified to be. I believe that too. I absolutely believe that. And our listeners are definitely liking you too. Yes, like I said, it's that you know what I know how the two two party system works. You know what I don't even care about the two party system at this point. We're talking about who's better, uh, Trump, Biden, or Mark Charles. I don't give a shit if he's button number one, two, three, eight, or ten. Mark Charles gets my vote. You know, he's those, he's that guy that, you know, he, we're fucking square holes tucked at the red, around pegs, you know. We don't listen to that. We're a two-party system. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what I can vote for. Don't tell me I'm not black enough. Don't tell me I'm not fucking tired enough. Don't tell me to go home. 
I'm gonna vote for who I want to. Oh, yeah. What's gonna you know, Mark Charles, I know what he's I know what these other two assholes are for. I know what Mark Charles is for. So you know what? He got for it worst comes to worst, what could possibly do you think an American Indian as president of the United States, what's the worst thing you can ha- think can happen? That's true. For him, it's the worst thing that can happen. There's <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of people not liking that. So, but you know, what's it? Yeah, I would, I would be, I am very excited about the potential we have as our campaign right now is gaining more momentum. We're not getting a lot of press, and that's not surprising. We do not expect the press to cover us because of how committed they are to the two-party system, but we are gaining a lot of momentum online. We're gaining a lot of momentum on social media, and I think we can absolutely become a part of the dialogue in this election. You know, and again, I don't need people to vote for me today. They don't have to vote for me right now. I need them to vote for me on November 3rd. So I still have four months to convince people that I'm the best candidate and I'm most deserving of And now, what about, what about uh, maybe Jesse Ventura for VP? Um, we have not been looking at him very closely. We have, we do have several other people in mind. I won't, I'm not going to go into names right but, now, but we have several other people that were betting different options. And we will, I have not followed him very closely as a candidate. Okay. No, I mean, I don't think he is a candidate, but I've heard some things about him, but I, I have not followed him very closely, and I know, but, yeah, so I, I do not know much about where he would stand. Yeah, it's just one of those things like um, because when he became governor, it was because um, – and again, I have a friend of mine actually who was my boss for a long time, um, grew up in Minnesota. And he would said that was the, it was the funniest thing because when – it was the whole seasoned politician, seasoned politician, you know, both terrible people. Jesse Ventura comes in like, yeah, I'm a pro I'm a wrestler. wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> he was like the greatest – you know, they just to say a big F you, they voted for him. So don't tell me it can't work. It has worked. Yeah. And it's worked for the better because once they did the budget, annual budget, and they said, hey, we have a surplus. And it was like, well, we could spend it there. We could spend it there. Jesse Ventura yeah. said, no, send it back to them. Yeah. Give them money to people their money back. They know how to spend it. Well, it's another success story of yeah, the third party. Of the third party, right. That's what I'm saying. And that all these yeah. just, yeah, he's a guy that's going to sit, does what he says. You, you think, yeah, what are you going to, you know, what's he going to get out of this? Yeah. I mean, first off, I know I've, I've got to say – yeah. Oh, I, go ahead. This story is definitely inspiring. I will agree with that. It's definitely inspiring. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it, what I'm saying, inspiring and proof that no matter what people say about the third party, vote yeah. your conscience. Look, yeah. you know that everyone asks questions of, like, hey, do yeah. you think? All they need to do is hear what their conscience, if you listen yeah. very quietly at night when it's still the night and no, nothing else, you can, you can hear your ancestors yeah. whispering in your ear. They're yeah. there all the time telling you, hey, don't, hold on, wait one second. Boom, it would have killed you. you just, they kind of got your back, but you got to listen to them. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Well, something I- when, when people challenge me on running as a, you know, we're going to be a writing candidate in probably over 30 states. Okay. And there's actually a senator from Alaska in the past few years who won her seat in Alaska as senator as a writing candidate. There you go. That's wonderful. And so, again, there's that hope now. And the other thing is, if I become elected, I will be the first, I will be the first native person, native man elected yes. president. Now, no. people give me pushback for being independent. Well, you know what? Our first white president was also an independent. Yeah. 
there were no political parties when George Washington became president. So our first white president was an independent. So there's no reason our first native president can't also be an independent. Hey, Mark, I know something. I know something has to change because you know, with everything going on, with you know, a, a valid, a, a, a valid third option of Mark Charles is not even an option at this point. He goes to the top of the list because we know what the other two yeah. have accomplished, and it's not much. Yeah. And everything, the, or too every, much everyone, not the everyone knows that this Mark Charles is the right answer. Yeah. Everyone knows it. Yeah. So it's just whatever we can do to help you out, you know. Yeah. And seriously, thank, we you. thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for taking time for the have me on. And today. thank you for thank you for joining us. And seriously, thank you for running. It it was getting it was seeming to get really really hopeless. Like there was uh, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. That things uh, this is a sh- sinking ship. Just uh, just make your peace, and that's the way it's going. It is wonderful to actually get to speak with somebody who actually clearly has the best interest of Europe, the way you put it, all the people in mind. Thank you, Mark Charles. Yes, thank you, Mark. You've been a delight. And we welcome. I'm not going to play base basketball with you, but I'll arm wrestle you. But you can't win. You have. You can't make. Me- <laughs> but thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you again. I'll say I'll say that, which doesn't mean goodbye. It means we'll we'll see you again. Yes, soon. We'll, we'll call again soon. So, and how do we say thank you in Navajo? You say Yeah. 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 Well, it, was, it should be that. Come on. Yes. Yeah, on is, is our website. And we Absolutely. And make donations. Petitions. I bought a t-shirt. All right. Yeah. I need to get one, too. Oh, fantastic. I just got a t-shirt in the mail today, too, from our campaign. I was very glad to get that in the mail. Yeah, actually, I think, I think I did buy two. I don't know. Well, this is wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, Mark Charles. And we'll get to say we'll speak soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you time, Mr. Charles. President Charles. Is awesome. What do you guys think? Yeah. All right. That was mad cool. That was mad cool. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we try to get some of your questions in, but it's really hard because we're back to doing the... Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad you, we're glad you all enjoyed it. <laughs> and now you know how to support Mark, and this will be good yes. in addition to write-ins. We're definitely writing him in here if he's not on the ballot. Yeah, well, I mean, if we follow him on Twitter and um, that's okay. No, no, no. You can share by little, you know. Yeah, you can share by little, you know. So <laughs> that's why I think the uh, you know, I don't know. It could have uh, been, but good stuff. Either way, so excited. So he'll come on again. I have a feeling. So. That was so wildly inspiring. It was, but I hope. You know, by the time he calls in next time that we have that stuff set up. That'd be cool because, yeah, we have this whole, uh, we got a Xenix 302 USB, uh, uh, box and mixer and it didn't work. Yeah, I just say, that's right. Too bad. Too bad he can't dunk. That's okay. He can always <laughs> practice. <laughs> See, yeah, there's an honest guy that says he can't dunk. There's an honest guy. It is. It's true. It's true. <laughs> oh yeah, we're not sure what the deal is with it, the mixer. Because it's, you yeah, quickly, we, I, when Jolynn called into me, oh, it's the microphone. 
Is it just, oh, I can't hear. You yeah, can't hear can't, me. We can't hear when people call in. Like the microphone works and everybody can hear us. Can but hear when us somebody better. calls in, we can't hear the caller. But whoever's listening can hear the caller. Just not us. So we're not sure what the deal is. Yeah, but B&H opens up on the 3rd, so we're going to go back then. And That's true. Hopefully next time he calls in, we'll have a better setup. Oh, yeah. That would be good. You know some dude. Yeah. Mad cool. I don't want to arm wrestle him still. You still don't? You I don't, don't want to? I don't. <laughs> I want to make, make sure. I'm definitely make sure he's present now. There you go. And, yeah, there's a headphone jack. We've got the headphone jack plugged in. Yes. And we can hear it well, just not when somebody calls in. So we're not sure what the deal Jack's is. on the box. And there's... Uh, yeah, and then there's one on the PC, too. Yeah, and... But we're, we're running Linux. Yeah, we are. We're but not, even well, when we... Well, we, we do it in Windows, too, though. You, yeah, when we switch it over to Windows, we still can't hear it, either. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a loopback feature, and we were thinking that maybe it's a driver issue, but there doesn't seem to be a driver for the Xenix 302. Yeah, well, like I said, we're getting new internet tomorrow. Yep, we are. So... Superior internet. So... Superior. That'll be good. See, that's something like Mark was saying. Why can't internet be free? I like in the United States. You don't figure we figure that shit out? Actually, you know what's funny is we're the only place that internet is so expensive. Literally the only place. Uh, all around Europe, you can get internet service, actually good internet service, a lot of it better than ours, and it's cheap. Here, it's a capitalist mindset. <laughs> no, it's not. It's what it wants to be. But if it starts losing money, <laughs> we yeah, only exactly. wait for three days. Yeah. All these people will be laid off. Uh, free internet means censorship. You think so? You think it would mean censorship? I think it might. Well, it already kind of does. Russia has their uh, own internet. Okay, good point. Actually, the drug cartels have their own internet and cellular service. It's true. So yeah, it's true. So okay, I could see what you're saying. But yeah, I don't know. But either way, just well, feeling well, so inspired. By that. Mm-hmm. So everything should be in that box. Yeah, we got everything. Yeah, no, we got everything. It was only like, there wasn't many pieces at all. But yeah. I do some more homework on it because it's Linux and I think it's more of a Mac thing. And then we just tried, could we dual boot if we have to? Okay. So. And Ralph is anti-government. You think as a whole, are you thinking like anarchist or uh, what style of anti-government? Because, of course, anarchist means a whole bunch of different things. Uh, nope, we're not using Chrome. No, uh, Firefox. Yeah, Firefox on Linux, and uh, even we can switch. But it. I downloaded Chrome, so I'll, yeah. I'm just gonna install that. Ralph is in a cult. Well, that's not easy. I'm in a cult. You're in a cult. Nonsense password. Oh yeah, that's true. We're in your cult. Nonsense password. That's true. Boku yummy yum hog. Yes, yes, we are all in that cult. And we all vote for more Charles. <laughs> and we rule, yes, yes, yes. And yes. we all vote for more Charles. Absolutely, we all vote for more Charles because clearly he is a again a superior candidate. He's but a better candidate. I spoke too much meat to calm me down. <gasps> yeah, so I, was, well, I, I started going and talking about something and filibustering, <laughs> and I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, oh man, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> no, like I looked at you like, ah, you know. Thanks, thanks for joining us. How about chilling? I wanted. <laughs> I really did. Yeah, he's coming back. We don't know when. I mean, I hope he's coming back. Yeah, we hope so because he's. Oh, he's just he's, awesome. Yeah, we gotta share. We gotta share. Um, maybe if you want, we could do a time where you could call in, and um, everybody could call in. Everybody, nice, yeah. well, we could just share yeah. it with everything and. Oh, plus another thing we're going to do, of course, once we're done here, uh, we will repost it and publish it up on Podbean. But then what we're going to do is we're going to download it and going to put it up on Thank YouTube you, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Nonsense. But yeah. Oh, Nonsense. <laughs> Such Sally's a panty teaser. Sally's here. Oh, that whore. Well, Nonsense, you just called in Sally. How about that? No. 
<laughs> thank you, nonsense. Thank you. Oh, congrats, guys. I say that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You do. That's right, Sally. <laughs> but yeah, we'll definitely we'll put this up on YouTube. That way, more people can uh, more people can see it too. Yes. Oh yes, she is voting for Mark Charles in different ways. I'm sure. Mm. She's in another whole guys. The guys. Yeah, Indie Guys as a whole, that's true. And <laughs> fashion. And fashion. fashion. Yes, yes she is. Oh my. Mm-hmm. But that that was so awesome. He's an awesome dude. He is. He is, and I'm so excited now. It just feels, it, thank things you. don't feel. Thank you, yes, thank you, Mark. Thank you well, for You know, that. though, it's like, even like when I'm like, oh, come on, he's either Mark, I'm sorry, um, it was Tulsi, I liked, I like Mayor Pete, and I like Bernie, Bernie I, you know, it's kind of weird, but, you know, Tulsi, she just has the good ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. And then once, you know, I'm like, all right, you know, one of them was, and then Biden, Biden? Who has a job for 47 years and asks for a fucking raise and a promotion? They fucked shit up yeah. this bad. Yeah. Like, where Three do you fucking get off? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 47 fucking years. Who has a job for 47 years? The crime bill. Who the crime bill. has a job yeah. for 47 yeah. years? Are you fucking kidding? 47 yeah. years. And you're proud of it. Yeah. And you're proud of the accomplishments? From what was your fucking baseline? And Being a thing. piece of shit? Yeah, that's your fucking baseline? You're proud of 50 yes. fucking years? Career politicians. 50 fucking yeah. years? And now you want to run shit? Yep. Get the fuck out of here. Mark Charles is fucking... That's why... Mark Charles is too good of a candidate. You know, he would, you know, actually try to find a love of Mr. Biden, blah, 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 be diplomat or anything. Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, you know what? Well, it's also that's why I don't think I, well, I didn't think Mark was going to ask me to be vice president. That good. That's, that's all. Yeah, I do. I, you your... know, I think he knew I couldn't take it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, please don't be vice president. I'm so not qualified. <laughs> well, no, it's uh, well, it's even like yeah, like you said, Ralph, career politicians. Well, it's something I'm appreciating how Mark had said too. I'd said to him about it's uh, how are you going to deal with again? You've got these mostly white white men who like the way things are. How are you going to deal with that? And like he said, yeah, we're not even we're not even bothering because I'm not going to win them over. I've got he's got my generation and he's got the next generation younger because we don't want things to be the way they were. Right, so, right. Yeah. I agree with that because even my generation is just like, oh, you're a wasted vote. I'm like, I didn't vote for I, I voted in ten, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. You know? There you go. Look exactly. What look what and happened. Exactly. I didn't vote for a few years. So look what. It yeah. is on me, guys. And I'm not running for us. You're, respond- you're Somehow responsible. Somehow I'm responsible for, for all this fucking shit we're in. Oh my, but just uh, so excited to be voting for Mark Charles. Exactly. Like, well, you did, I know, I know. <laughs> Who put me in charge? I told you. Take one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Three kids. But seriously, guys, thank you all for joining yes, us. Thanks for love and, and thanks I know for sharing that with us. And absolutely. Uh, here's to many more. And. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. gonna go post this up now. Remember, Mark Charles 2020. Uh, yes, Mark Charles 2020 dot com. Awesome. There's one for you. Oh yeah, you can buy you can buy uh, some gear from him. Uh, you can donate. donate. You can volunteer with them. Oh, so follow him on over, Twitter. There are petitions on there that you can sign. Follow him on Twitter and open your wallet. Five ten bucks. Like you need five ten bucks. I need five ten bucks. That's true. I hate to ask people for money, but yeah. yeah and on Twitter, uh, let me think. Um, uh, what his Twitter handle is? It's um, not Mark Charles. If you look up Mark Charles, you'll find Mark it. Charles 2020. Yeah, if you look up Mark Charles, but it's um. Oh yeah, it's. I know I follow him on Twitter. It's uh. Yeah, hi Kitty. We'll find it. It's uh. It's not his name. 
for Twitter. Hi, Kitty. Maybe uh, and I'll post has it. Yeah, nonsense no, maybe nonsense has it. Has it. Uh, nonsense might have it. Maybe. Um, it's Hogan something, I think. No, I think no. Hold on. Wireless, wireless Hogan. Hogan. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put this. This is uh, Mark Charles' uh, Twitter handle. And you can follow him. I'm pretty sure on Facebook too. And by his book, his book is a good read. Yeah, his book is a good read. It's Unsettling Truths. That's the title of it. Uh, you can you go to the website. You can easily find a link there to purchase it. It's been uh, it's been a very eye opening read. Like I, I consider I talked to Tim about this before too. Yeah. Okay. We're both white. We realize that it's um. Uh, of course, we got. Of course, we go really into the Thanks, background bro. where. Yeah. Thank you. You go really into our into our ancestry. We're both uh, like two hundred thousand years ago. We have am, uh, have African ancestors, like pretty much all of us do. But it's uh, uh, just realizing reading it how little I actually knew. Yeah. So yeah. So seriously, thank you everybody for joining us, and of course we'll catch you all tomorrow. Yes. And have or a good nonsense night. will probably pop in there a little bit. Oh, absolutely. But, but everybody, starving. yeah, stay safe, stay healthy out there. We appreciate you giving us well, some Let's time. get some shit done. Let's fucking put some fucking square fucking pegs in some round holes. Hit button number three. Sounds like a plan, baby. Biden and Trump who kissed my yeah. ass. Mark Charles. Mark Charles. Mark Charles 2020. Thank right. you. You got you too, nonsense. Yes. Yes, you too. But we'll catch nonsense in just a bit. And for everybody, we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Have a good night and thank you so much again. Thank you, guys.